That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host, Carletta Cole of caregiversafeplace.com. Also coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio podcast networks on 26 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio and iTunes and Spreaker and YouTube and SoundCloud and Vimeo, and there's just too many to mention. But uh, we are proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and number two on Feedspot out of the top 60 and number two on CaringVillage.com. And we do have an especially exciting show planned for you today, don't we, Carletta? Yes. She, there, it's unanimous. Dave okay. Razzi. Yes. Why was he placed on this earth? Why was I placed on this earth? Well, it took me a long time to figure that out. I mean, I went through a cycle of my life, you know, let's say from the age of 30 to the age I am now. But it took me about maybe about 20 years until I figured out why I'm here. You know, uh, when I was seven, I didn't know what was going on. My father had a nervous breakdown. He had like that that movie, uh, It's a Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe at seven years old. He was put in a mental hospital when you, you know, when people didn't have to approve to be committed. He disappeared for six months. And I go, where's dad, mom? And basically, you know, she said, well, he went away for a while. And, uh, you know, he encountered his first nervous breakdown at 19. At that time, he was like 47. And uh, basically, she said he's away. And I got to see him at the halfway at the uh, insane asylum mental hospital, they used to call it in Camarillo, California. And I didn't know what's going on. And my mom took me one day there one day. And all I could remember at this stage of my life, we went around in the gardens and sat and had a little picnic, but a bunch of crazy people running around, you know, but anyway, he got through that and came home. After How was six- he before his first nervous breakdown? Any symptoms? Oh, he was like super. He was my dad from the age of 20 his first breakdown was 19 he recovered like and he you know he won the world's fair in chicago with his artwork after he recovered he started working for disney he was the first cartoonist cartoonist for walt disney snow white and the seven doors created dopey then got his own radio show and got an emmy then he had his own tv show on ktla for five years and you know he was on top of the world and then he got in this accident a, so a car T-bombed him in Eagle Rock, and my mom was with him, and he was out of it for six months. It just threw him back into that mental stage. And so I grew up with well, did, him. Did, did the car accident have anything to do with the breakdowns? Or he had them before that, didn't he? He had them before that. His first one was at 19 when he went to the Art League of America. Uh, the number would, one they, arts- would they give him shock treatments every time? No, he got the 37 shock treatments when he was 47. That's when he got his first. In in what amount of time? (laughs) Within six months. 
Wow. Months. Yeah, he had 30. Did shock had, treatments help? I mean, today, what do we know uh, about well, shock he came treatment? Home, he, I don't know if they, they, he came home. He's got to be the most depressed person you ever saw. He came home and he went to his room and he slept for 14 hours a day. I go, man, what's wrong with my dance? You know, it was just wow. crazy. I mean, people, I don't know if they ever experienced it. But, and then and then he gradually came back and he, his cycles as he got older got closer and closer. And he would actually get to the point where he'd go back out to his art studio. And I, like at seven, eight years old, I'd find that the only way to connect, I'd get up with my dad at three o'clock in the morning. And I used to go out there and paint with them. And he gained my trust. So, and then he got back into the sales world, which is kind of interesting. I'll get to that later. How I feel like that's my calling. It took me a while to figure it out. And he was a super salesman in the 50, when he got out, he became the number one car salesman for Glendale Dodge, which is one of the biggest ones in America. He wow. set records. And then all of a sudden he'd go up to one of these tangents and he wouldn't sleep. And my mom would freak out. And it was like, I was in the middle of this. And then when I was 14, she couldn't handle it one day. And she said, hey, Dave, can you help dad get in, put himself in the mental institution? So at 14, my dad was sitting next to me and he says, hey, Dave, should I do this? And I go, dad, you know, crying. I said, dad, you really should. You, you know, you need help. And it worked. And so throughout his life, that happened another four times when I was in my teen years and my adult years. And uh, till the day he died, I stayed close to him and, you know, tried to and tried to follow. He was a fun guy. He was hilarious. My dad just was a big joker. He was a, his first cartoonist on TV and radio. But I mean, he wrote his own scripts. I still have some of them from the shows. I mean, he wrote his own poems. He was so a this great artist. To me, I mean, I'm going to ask you what he was diagnosed with, but this sounds to me like what they used to call manic depressant, or now it's called bipolar. Is that what he was? That's what he was. Correct. Yeah. Very creative um, geniuses, you know? He was a borderline genius. You, yeah. I'm sure you're aware of all of the great bipolar people that have lived on this earth and have accomplished great uh, things. Exactly. Yeah. And he was fascinated by that. You know, he read every art book. Artists are so creative. And it's, yeah. you know, I got four sons. They're it was creators. rampant in Hollywood, too. I know a lot of. Uh, exactly. And yeah. you, know, you know, a lot of industry people. Um, I didn't realize it until because my son is a child actor. Uh, well, he's an adult actor now, but um, he was a child actor. But noticing um, a lot of the people in the industry, um, they're very shy. Like, and they're very, um, you know, they're not come forward they don't come forward as uh, very strong people um they're more so just trying to find their way and i think that's part of why they choose the industry because they can pretend to be someone else they can you know act it out even uh the emotions that they're feeling inside they can play a character versus you know people really thinking that it's themselves so I think that a lot of people get in the industry because of that situation that helps them to grow out of the shyness. Um, although my son is still a little shy, he's grown tremendously um, out of his uh, his shyness through different characters. You have it down because as the later years, like when we, my dad was selling cars, he did a lot of character acting. He was on he was on Dean Martin's show. He was on Sanford and Son. He was on All in the Family. I mean, 
And he realized that. And all his agent shots were all these character shots. And look back, look at Johnny Carson. He said he was an introvert. I don't know if you remember right. heard about Johnny Carson, but yeah, he was. He had a lot was, of tells that would uh, indicate that he was very. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And Robin Williams. Like and Robin Williams. Robin yeah. Williams was my favorite of all time um, and still is. But, yeah. you know, he was not healthy. He wasn't, you know, mentally stable. But no one could ever figure that out because he was always making us laugh and always happy. But inside, he was internalizing a lot of stuff. So, you know, it's it's different. It's a different yeah. feeling when you are there to be their caretaker um, and know that this person is not healthy. But in the public light, you know, they see all this happiness. And I noticed as well, um, a lot of people... Um, they're afraid, you know, they're afraid to go to the doctor because they're, you know, they, their, their information get leaked, you know, so they don't want to find the help because they don't want anyone to find out. Would you right. Say, they would love you, being, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No. Oh, it's like a high. They love being high. I mean, my dad used to say, and he wrote it about it and I shared it because all these journals he wrote, I was there watching him write it. He wanted to write his story. So I finished it for him. But he loved that. And he told what was going on in his mind when he was when he's going through those cycles. So he told about his mental illness. Yes. He talked openly about his mental illness and what it felt like. He says it was like he had to get all this stuff done and he didn't have time to do it. You know, he died at 65. That sounds like a movie, you know. Oh, yeah. He's going to get the movie rights to that. Oh, I don't know. But I think it'll be a great movie. Anybody that... You know, nobody's approached me yet, but all my kids, everybody, the reason, family, they said, man, that's like, I mean, it's there. That's why it's, you need to go on TV. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're right. It's, it's there. They really try to keep inside what's going. I mean, they're in their little world and they're so, they're creative. And so there's so much talent there. So uh, it's yeah. genetic uh, bipolar, I am assuming. Yes. Yes. Your yes, sister is. had that also. Same. My sister had that also. And how is it that you skipped getting that? It's interesting. It's like I, all of a or sudden. Or do you I, have I, it? <laughs> no, I know. I, maybe I'm borderline because they tell me when when I got therapy, when she said, you're probably borderline because I've never experienced it. But I take it and I, you know, I vent it out in other areas where, you know, customers like me. They love me, you know, and I, I give them what they want and I joke with them. And it's I found it the positive of what I seen within them. And, you know, my sister, maybe she, if there was a period, she went through some hard times with drugs and I, and I try to stay away from drugs, you know, drink alcohol socially, but, you know, I had a brother, my older brother, he had issues. He just passed away last year. I'm the only sibling left. I think he wow. was either mentally or autistic. He got by, he was in the Navy for a while. My brother, he had encephalitis. He died at 39. Were any had, of them on medication? Uh, no, no, no medication no, for your father. It could have helped, I guess, huh? Yeah, you could have helped, but you know, it's Dave, they didn't know back then. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Dave, yes. um, do you actually find yourself, um, do you feel as though being a salesperson is like self medicating yourself as far as like making yourself happy? Because I can tell you from a caregiver, and I, I don't know if, if Dave feels the same thing. But I get a rush out of helping people because on the inside, I want that same feeling. 
But because I don't get it often enough, um, I tend to help more people so that I can self-medicate myself (laughs) for being loving and caring and and openly helping other people um, as some of my self-medicating ideas. Arletta, you really got it down. You you really know how to read things because that is so true. I tell people I get high on, you know, it's like I just, you know, I listen to one of my hobbies through the years of listening to all these motivational tapes and stuff. And it's like I've been doing this for years. I mean, if I could help somebody, it all started with within my family, my dad, my sister. And it's I do. I think you're the first one that picked up on that. It's interesting. I think yeah, that has a lot that to do I I mean, my big boss of Merck, the number one sales, the number one pharmaceutical in the world, he cornered me one day at a at a table. He says, Durazzi, how do you do that year after year? You know, and I just told him, you know, it's I just love doing it. And it's like, you know, my mom asked me when I was seven to help her. And man, I realized, and then I realized my sister needed my help in latter years. And I figured, and it used to get so fed up because I talked to all these friends and family that everything seems perfect. You know, and I go, why me, man? I got to make a living. Yeah, but you you have to also realize that, thank goodness that you have this inside of you where you are able to work it out and and you learn what your niche is because some right. people don't know what their niche is. Your dad loved drawing. He loved uh, TV and film, but that wasn't his niche. His niche was sales and he probably just didn't, he didn't tap into it and you just so happen to tap into it. So it helps you, you know, to cure what you're feeling on the inside. So thank goodness you learned what your niche is and what you love and that's helping people because you're a natural born caregiver. So it's, you know, it's a great feeling to be able to help others. And also it makes you feel good and it heals what you have inside of you as well. So I'm thankful that that was, you were able to catch on to that, even though you didn't realize it, you realized it, but you wasn't able to verbalize it. So now I've able, I, I was able to bring it to your attention and now you know exactly what, what is <laughs> happening. No, that's yeah, a great no, no extra man. charge for that. That's a free no one. charge for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got it. I mean, yeah, I used to just yeah, I used to turn to tell people, hey, I just get high when I sell a big one on Friday. You know, I used to drive. I'd be in my car, and my boss used to call me and say, I lo- used to play that song by Randy Newman. I love L.A. You know, when I hit a big one, and it's like <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't need alcohol. I don't need drugs. I got it, man. Right. <laughs> So why did your uh, father uh, sell cars and stuff? I would think he'd made plenty of money, you know, doing what he did at Disney and and Uh, all that other creative stuff. Is it just because he was a workaholic and trying to occupy his time? You're going to love this story. He (laughs) at at 1956. He talked my mom, my my his his brother, his third young. Yeah, it's eleven. He was the oldest of eleven kids. Tell them he he had this. Big investment. And my dad had $56,000 in the bank. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money back then. Right, back then, yes. He said, I'll I'll pay you 20%. My dad gave it all to him for the 20%. My mom went along with it. And this is shortly after he got out of the mental hospital. So obviously, and after about six months, 
the, the big hotel investment for the Seattle World's Fair went bankrupt and he couldn't keep it up and he lost everything. So, oh, wow. yeah, I mean, so we started off, my mom had so many recipes for chicken, you wouldn't believe it. We, <laughs> I mean, that's chicken all we soup. ate. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with chicken, but she made it a hundred different ways. So he was scammed. <laughs> was it an honest, uh, was it an honest thing that, that uh, could have gone good, but went bad? Well, it could have gone good, but the, but it was investment in the big hotel in Seattle for the World's Fair was going to be there one year, but they delayed it a year. So that's what happened. He they couldn't keep fair. up. Yeah. And he got with the wrong partners and that we lost it all. But we managed to keep our home in Eagle Rock. And, well, you know, thank God. But the that. biggest thing is that he learned. And see, yeah. a lot of people, we have to realize this. No matter what our losses are, no matter how, how far we fall down, we have to learn what learn from the situation if you don't learn from that situation it's going to continuously keep happening and until you learn from it then you can move on and that's probably what it was he just you know he yeah made a bad investment but exactly he he actually moved on yeah so that was many times and then what he did Dave, what he did when he got, you know, he didn't have his back and getting well again when he was 47. He started selling calendars, pencils, keychains, uh, you know, just need, to get back into it. Did he need the money or he was just trying to build that nest? nest no, he needed the up. money. My mom luckily packed some away, you know, but he needed the money. And then then he got back into it because the car. Huh? He was working a lot. Oh, yeah. Second, third working. jobs. Yes, exactly. And basically that's. That's been my kind of, I've been working two and three jobs for many years. I'm trying to balance it out, but it's tough. <laughs> you know, it really is. And, uh, but, you know, I love what I do and I love life, you know, and, and you just got to help people when you can and help yourself and stay healthy. And that's what it's all about. Well, the main thing is making sure that you're happy. Yeah. So you have to make sure you find what you love and don't chase dreams, you know, just, Make sure that you're happy at all times. Right. And that's re- what's that? Self-care. Self-care. Exactly. And, you know, that's the reason I called the book, Is Everybody Happy? Because I don't know if you got into the book, Everybody Happy. My sister always used to say that, even in the halfway homes that I used to visit her every couple of weeks. She'd always say, she'd go into a room, she is everybody happy? And I was talking to my sons one time and they said, why don't you use that? It's the name of the book. And it's what she's, I mean, she tried to be happy no matter what state of mind she is in. There was a famous band uh, leader who used to say that, uh, is everybody happy? Who was that? (laughs) I can't remember who that was, but I remember that. Back in the 40s, 50s. Anyway, what were the similarities of your sister's illness and your father's illness? Sounds like your father was really functioning um, was your sister functioning as well in between all of her episodes? Or Oh, yeah. I mean, my sister, my, from the age of three, she went to Antha Academy over there in uh, Hollywood. And Mark Hamill was there taking the classes with her, the big Star Wars guy. There's something about him in the book. And, you know, it, it's like she was a superstar. My mom my mom was, could, was a beautiful woman. I mean, she did vaudeville with my dad. You know, 38 states they traveled to. When she was 17, they got married. 
And but my dad never let her get into showbiz. She, she would you see her in a book. I mean, she's just amazing looking lady. Everybody says, Oh my God. And basically, uh, I think she relived her life through my sister. And maybe that had a lot to do with everything that went down. I mean, she was so pre- she went two or three times a week to dance classes and all that stuff. And then, uh, you know, she had to be on the set and go to school on the set. And, uh, I, you know, I think, but overall, she had a good life. She wrote about it in, in her journals, and I picked up all her journals. And, you know, it was very, uh, and I know, Carletta, you have a son, but it it's very strangely sometimes. I mean, she used to complain about not being able to go out on dates. My mom protected her till she was 16. And after that, you know, it's kind of just got mixed up with the wrong, some wrong people, but she still maintained her acting career primarily from the age of 11 to 19, 20 years old. And then she, uh, she disappeared one time and, you know, had a, had a major trauma and ended up in a nervous breakdown. And she, so she didn't do as well as your father then. No, in her later life, she didn't do as well. You know, what's amazing. Yeah, what I can tell you, I can tell you is, um, from experience as a, um, as a child actor, they go through so many different phases and yeah. stages. So with her, you know, if, if your father wasn't well, your mother really wasn't on top of it, you know, it may have been she didn't have anyone to bounce from. So she took the next best thing, which would be drugs that will be helping her to cope with the, the, the um, in, in, in acting. It's a lot of um, a lot of uh, rejection and people don't realize that. Um, it's hard, you know, oh, yeah. and when I used to tell my son, when we leave that set or when we leave your audition, you forget about it right. because it never happened, no. you know, and, and the only way that you can do that is to train them for when they're little to know that it, it like, you're still good. You're still great. They just right. didn't want you. You didn't have, you know, great, great eyes. You didn't have a, 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 a prominent nose or you something. And, and it's okay, you know, because yeah. they're looking for the next best person. And it's okay because you'll be, your turn will be coming up. And a lot of people don't realize that that is what a lot of actors and actresses and singers and all that, because you're you're only great as your next gig. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. And if Kathy, you learn that little, yeah. you'll Kathy be fine, but about- it's not, yeah. Yeah, Kathy talks about that in her journals. He was there was four hundred people that interviewed for that spot on Happy Days, and mm-hmm. she felt so blessed. And you know, it happened, and she was just she wrote about it. And I put it in the book, the letter she wrote to you know herself in her journals. And yeah, you just never know. And it's you know, it's interesting. I look at it like sales that way too. And what I do day to day, it's like it's all numbers. I mean, there are people that tell me no all the time, but it doesn't stop me. It's like. If you're good at what you do and you know you're good at what you do, you're always going to be good at what you do. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I think, you know, what really has shook up my mom, and it's in the book, is, you know, Gary Marshall, the big time director that everybody knows, Happy Days and uh, what um, the, uh, what's the show with uh, that, that actor? But Julia Roberts and, you know, yeah, the one that's that Pretty she, Woman. Yeah, pretty Woman. Yeah, Pretty Woman. I mean, he was, and he looked at my sister. He said, "Man, you're a beautiful girl." But he says, "If you stay, he- if you stay healthy, you're going to be on top." 
But and that bothered my mom, and she always used to talk about it because maybe he saw something. I have no idea, you know. But well, they that's... do because back then they got caught into caught up into so much, so many drugs, and so much stuff that was happening, and that lowered their self esteem, and they had to deal with, um, you know, social anxiety. They had to deal with um, producers and directors coming on to them. You know, right. and it, it was, it's a different world. It was a different world before everyone, you know, everything came out. And now, yeah. you know, you can barely say anything to anyone, you know. So exactly. a lot of these young women and young men are not going through as much as the actors that were getting beat out of their contracts, getting uh, bad contracts, getting bad deals. You know, now, you know, you have all these different attorneys and all these different people that will help you back then you didn't have that unless you had money and that exactly. was just it well let's yeah let's Richard talk about um you know our yeah. audience are burned out caregivers and um you have a great story but um uh, i know we haven't even touched on the the rough parts of it you know why was it so hard uh, what were some of the roughest things you went through and uh explain how you burned out and how you uh, dealt with the burnout yeah, well, I guess the toughest things were, you know, my sister, uh, you know, I, I, when she went, it's 20 years old, she used to move from house to house. So I'd have to move her in and, in and out of different places 10 times a year because she just kept, you know, it was just like a cycle. She wasn't happy anywhere. She was all over the place. And then, you know, through that and, you know, she kept being delusional. And then the toughest time of my caretaking of my sister was in her last 12 years of her life when she was, you know, I tried to help her as much as I could, but she was in and out of mental facilities and assisted living homes. And then I would try to sit and engage with her and, you know, she would just be delusional. And then I would figure out a way to, you know, kind of get her talking reality. And then I, I found it difficult. Like one time she got beat up and I didn't believe her and in within the halfway house, halfway house is like assisted living for mental illness. And, you know, and I, and I went to see her the next time and she had a big black eye and she was telling the truth. And I kind of blew it off. Like, you know, it's like I, I tried to stay in touch with her. You know, we talked a couple times a week. I'd see her every couple of weeks. And I think, you know, and dealing with my dad, I didn't understand him when he was high. I just know the same time or different times. No, different times, different times. My sister was like a guy and, you know, her later life. And my dad was in my childhood to my late teens and early. Were you 20s. married during all this time? I got married at twenty-two. I after I got married at twenty-two. So how did your after, wife handle your crazy she was, family? She was in totally denial. She was just she didn't want to have anything to do with it, like most of America. It's weird. It's like she never knew that side. Did you she know, criticized like you for spending huh? so much time. Did she criticize you for spending so much time with them? Yes. It was yes, it hard on the marriage? It was hard on the marriage. Actually, it lasted 19 years. And I, I got remarried since then. It took me 15 years. So but you broke up as a result. Yeah, broke up as a result. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it and just, it also gave you, it, I'm sure it gave you anxiety and, um, you know, a little PTSD because, yeah. or either, um, um, what do you call, abandonment. Because you're feeling like your dad basically abandoned you you know, when you were younger, 
a lot of us go through that because we're like, we're right here. Dave, I remember you mentioning that at the fashion show, how you felt. You were like, I was there for her. And she just kept steadily pushing me away and pushing me away. And I was trying to do everything that I could. And, you know, you just felt like you couldn't do enough. And so you got fed up and it was like, okay, you have to figure something else out. So it's, it takes a lot of toll on our bodies. And that's why I said a lot of us soul search for other things to pacify what we're missing because we get pushed away in that rejection from the people that we're trying to love on and trying to hug and, 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 and make, you know, make them whole while we're breaking ourselves down. So, you know, a lot of, especially right now, Dave, you should be really focuses, focusing on self-care. You know, because you've been through a lot of trauma, a lot of, you know, um, trauma in your life that you don't realize right now. Um, but you really need to sit down and think about what do I like as Dave? Who am I? What do Dave, not what does Dave wife like? What not, what did Dave father like? What did my mom like? But what did, what do you like and who are you? I think that that's will great. Answer all of your questions. Yeah, you may still be in the life. grief process. Yeah, yes. that's true. That's true. Yeah, I, I've thought about that, and I've asked myself that, and you're you're you catch on pretty good, Carla. I swear that's <laughs> that's where I'm at in life, and I, you know, it took me a while, and basically, you know, I, you can imagine it wasn't abandonment. You imagine I have four sons I grew up with. You know, they grew up with me as their father. I played sports. I was their coach for 14 years. You know, but it wasn't all, you know, it wasn't all roses, man. And and then you're going to get up and leave. And, you know, I'm, I'm still close to my sons, but there was about five or 10 years that it was really ugly, you know? Yeah. So let's yeah. talk about your book. What do you hope to accomplish? What do you hope readers will get out of your book? Okay. And far as my book, I think what most people there have mental illness within their immediate family or within close friends. I think they read this book and they realize they there's our ways to engage with them. If you just sit at a table with them, have a meal, just get them in a place one-on-one, -on -one, you could attempt to talk to them. I mean, my sister used to get off her delusions and I go, Kathy, that, that can't be. I says, you have a kid by this guy, by this guy, by this guy. And then she would say, you know, maybe you're right. I never had any church <laughs> wedding or anything. <laughs> she says, you know, it's like I'd have fun with it sometimes, you know, and then she'd even laugh. You know, it's like I think if you really get to know the inside of the person, they're struggling. And, you know, I mean, you put them in these places to take their meds. You know, I, I couldn't have been a caretaker day-to-day -day basis because I got I had to keep on with my own life but there are ways I think they read the book they investigate there are programs that they could take care of them and you could still be part of their lives and you could still help them feel like they're part of the family and that's what I tried to do year after year you know with my sister with my dad I mean holidays were always big no matter what state of mind they're in hey they got a family all these people out on the street you know, everybody's, you know, maybe they deserted them. They, they're in denial. They don't want to be with them. So if they read these stories, my sto two books that I've written so far about being around mental illness, you know, there's a lot of good in mental illness if you just hit it direct on and learn from it. 
and be able to yes. use what you've learned and share yeah. that with other people. What are the biggest mistakes you've made that you wish you could redo and, and make it right? I guess the biggest mistakes that I've done that I could probably redo is finding the balance, you know, in your personal life. And, you know, but it's so hard, you know, you, you know, people that you love, maybe you don't get the right. You need to just face everything day to day. And I think I look back, you know, you look back in your first marriage and if you don't get along, you know, get in their face and say, this ain't going to work, you know, and, and put it, you know, what did they say? Put it, just put a button on it right then or whatever the term is and deal with it and get through it. Like, I you know, one of my great uncles years ago, he was 85. And I says, how do you do this? And he says, well, you just got to get through every day. Hmm. And I think that's what if, and sometimes I avoid it, you know, and you can't avoid problems in life, man. Everybody has them. Well, I can't believe how fast our time has gone today. Um, how can our listeners get a hold of you if they want to learn more about your story or put you on another okay. interview or uh, yeah, my, you get your book? Yeah, it's it, it's it's in my website. I have my phone number. It's uh, in my website's www.davidfderazzi.com. I have Instagram. I have uh, Twitter. I'm trying to get it out there. I'm doing blogs every day. I'm trying to do a video. I, you know, I want people to learn from my experiences and make their life better. And I think I could do that. I mean, I'm hitting 70, you know, I mean, it's like, man, I got a lot to share. You know, it's a tough world out there. And I think I could help, especially with mental illness. So that's David F. like Frank Orazi, O-R-A-Z-I. dot com. And the initial was F, like Frank, right? Like Frank, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you have, a fa you have a Facebook page too, Dave? Yes, I do. I have a Facebook page, Dave DeRazzi and David F. DeRazzi. So check it out. I try to put as much so on there as I can. Either with or without the initial, it works? Yes. Dave DeRazzi or David F. DeRazzi. I see. Both. Well, Carletta, yeah. Carletta Cole provides respite care for burned out caregivers and receives donations from donors. So caregivers can afford to get away and recharge their batteries. Carletta, how can listeners get a hold of you? Caregiversafeplace.com. Uh, that's the website or Facebook. You can uh, put in Caregiver Safe Place and Instagram, Caregiver Safe Place. And uh, that's pretty much it for right now. Great. And remember, all our live shows become recorded pod and video casts on your favorite platforms. My newly released book, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times, is spreading all wisdom all over the world. And it's available wherever books are sold. Also on my free membership website, caregiverdave.com. And if you join my Facebook community of 34,000 caregivers, you'll learn all about my new caregiver wellness retreat and mastermind in Acapulco that I offer burned out caregivers, trying to keep as many caregivers alive since 30% of them actually die before their loved ones do. Now, if you click the like or follow button on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this interview on, it helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google's search engine algorithm. So thank you again to all my listeners out there all over the world for tuning in every Wednesday and making us the number one caregiver podcast on the Internet. So until next week, same channel, same time. May God richly bless you all. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's Dave Nassani, otherwise known as Caregiver Dave. And I'm coming to you live from this beautiful Acapulco Villa, which I like to say is the perfect prescription for caregiver burnout. 
and I have a unique opportunity to bring 14 burned out caregivers up here so that they can decompress and do all the things that they need to do. But this is just a bonus. It actually comes with the six month Zoom coaching program. It's a one-on-one -on -one consult with me, Caregiver Dave, to identify where you are and where you need to go. It's a six monthly small group coaching sessions to smash any obstacles between you and your ideal vision of what a caregiver needs to be and caregiver success. You get my three free books and instructions on boundaries, grief, self-care, organization, asking for help, learning how to say no, avoiding burnout, avoiding depression, avoiding perfectionism, avoiding isolation, avoiding resentment, delegation, team building, how to have fun, how to have no guilt, the importance of gratitude, and after caregiving when you're no longer a caregiver. But this seven day bonus is absolutely free. It comes with the coaching program that you pay for. And the food is all inclusive. I'm telling you, seven days and seven nights here is amazing. This is truly paradise. And I highly recommend it. For more information, go to caregiverdave.com. That's gonna send you to my other website. And if you want a shortcut to get there immediately, just go to acapocodave.com. Thanks again. I look forward to seeing you in Acapulco. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing. Uh.